Well, it's good to see you here tonight for another prayer meeting and another study. This evening we are continuing in Romans chapter 5. I expect that we will finish Romans 5 this evening. We got through the first 12 verses last time. Romans 5 is... <clears throat> a sometimes misunderstood chapter in the book of Romans, but it's a very important chapter. And just by way of review, chapter 1 is an introduction and a beginning of what Paul is teaching about the gospel. And he introduces what the gospel is, but then starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, he introduces the concept of the wrath of God. And we see that the wrath of God will be poured out upon the wicked. Those who don't believe that God is creator, who live their lives ignoring that fact. But then chapter 2 teaches us that those who know God, but live contrary to his law, will also be subject to the wrath of God. And so by the time we get to chapter 3, Paul makes the point that whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you know about God or you don't know about God, if you are living in violation of his will, you will be subject to the wrath of God. Then at the end of chapter 3, though, he introduces the concept of the righteousness of, of God, how we receive it, and the good news that we don't have to receive God's wrath. And chapter 4 shows us that Abraham is a man who exercised this faith. And he is the father of the faithful to all who follow his example. And then when we get to chapter 5, we see that not only did Abraham give us an example, even though... And chapter 5 shows that even though Adam has had an effect on all men, the effect that Christ can have is greater, if we choose, than the effect that Adam has had on us. So, in essence, Christ, the second Adam, cancels out, if we choose so, the effect that the first Adam had on us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we continue on through Romans chapter 5. Now we got through the first 12 verses last time. And the first verse of chapter 5 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we are justified, we have Christ's righteousness. So if we have Christ's righteousness and if we are justified, we have peace with God. And that's good news. Because up until that point, Paul has been talking about the wrath of God. But if you have justification by faith, rather than having the wrath of God, you have peace with God. So that's good. And that's good news. And he goes on to develop some points. Now, one thing um, that someone pointed out to me after the study last week that I thought was worth mentioning this time is in verse 10, it talks about when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
So, being reconciled by the death of Christ, Revelation 13.8 tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. So, in Genesis 3, we see as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior, where Jesus tells Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and so forth. So, from the very beginning of sin, there was the plan of salvation. Jesus um, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're going to get into this concept. So, we were reconciled to God, even when we were enemies, by the death of his son. But even more than being reconciled, we are saved. Now, notice it says... We are saved by his life. Now, obviously, his death brings us salvation. Paul isn't saying that, that Christ's death doesn't bring salvation. But he's bringing out the point that the life of Christ also saves us. And if you look at the end of Romans 4, which is certainly connected to this passage in Romans 5, we see that Christ was raised again for our justification. So Christ is raised for our justification. We are justified by faith and we're saved by his life. So Christ died on the cross for us. And when we accept his death on our behalf, we receive forgiveness, we receive justification. Those are some things that we've talked about. But then we see that in addition to his death, he was raised again for our justification. And we see in verse 10 of Romans 5 that we are saved by his life. Justification by faith is righteousness by faith and if we have righteousness by faith or justification by faith we have salvation is that clear and Christ was raised again for our justification so when he was raised again where did he go he went to heaven and Hebrews 7 tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us he's our high priest in heaven and we see also in the book of Hebrews that Christ as a faithful, a merciful and faithful high priest is able to help us with our temptations because he suffered being tempted. So, yes, we are saved by his death, but we also are saved by his life because what Christ is doing for us now as a merciful and faithful high priest is just as important to our salvation as his death on the cross was. And Ellen White makes the comment in Great Controversy that Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary is just as essential to the plan of salvation as was Christ's death on the cross. And if you understand the whole sanctuary system, Christ is the lamb slain in the outer court, then the blood goes into the holy place, and ultimately on the day of atonement it goes into the most holy place where the sins of God's people are ultimately blotted out. Because Christ is raised up from the dead, he can then go to heaven with his blood, initially taking it to the holy place, and then on the day of atonement, antitypically, into the most holy place, and ultimately with his blood, the sins of God's people are blotted out. So that, does that make sense? And so when the sins of God's people are blotted out, that ultimately brings the final salvation for man. <clears throat> so I just wanted to comment on that, verse 10, that we are saved by his life. And there's also the concept of 
Christ living in us, the mystery of God and, and those things in the book of Revelation. So we got through the first 12 verses essentially last time, and, I, and to set up what we are going to do tonight, I, it's important to comment on verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the, into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, <clears throat> the, who's the one man through whom sin entered into the world? That's Adam. And death, or, or, and let, let me get this straight here. So, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, <clears throat> Adam sinned. His effect is that sin entered into the world. Death, the wages of sin is death, so death enters into the world because of sin. And then we see that death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. What Paul is saying here is, is that Adam sinned, and because of that, he died. All of us, we also have sinned, and we die. And earlier, <clears throat> we, in Romans 3, we saw that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What Paul is emphasizing here is that <clears throat> all of us are subject to death because all of us have chosen to sin. And we all inherited a fallen nature from Adam once he ch chose to sin. And last week we talked about this, but in Ezekiel 18, um, verses 1 through 4, and then later on in the chapter, we see that the Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father the iniquity of the Son. So we are not personally guilty or culpable for the sin of Adam. What we are guilty for is our own sin. For the, uh, for the sins that we choose to commit. And this is an important point because Augustinian introduced a concept into the Christian church, into the Catholic church, um, the concept of original sin, that we are all born guilty of Adam's sin. And then that's where the teaching of infant baptism came into the Catholic church. And so infants then would be baptized because of the original sin that they were born with, even though... You know, they had no idea about Adam at the moment of their birth and so forth. According to Augustine, they were guilty the moment they were born. Now, obviously, we know that inevitably babies and everyone who's ever been born choose to sin. But that's what brings the guilt, not the sin from Adam. So... With that in mind, what we're going to see here in these next few verses is the comparison between the effect that Adam has on the human race and the effect that Christ has on the race. Um, verse 13, we briefly covered last time. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. What Paul is saying here, and this is a parenthetical statement from verses 13 to 17. So he, you could basically skip from verse 12 to verse 18 and get the same thought, but he's making a parenthetical statement. Verse 13, he says, For until the law, sin was in the world. What's he meaning there? When was the law given? It was given at Mount Sinai. But sin was in the world even before the law was given because 
Adam and Eve knew what was right, and everyone who followed after them also knew the difference between good and evil, or right and wrong. And so then when he says, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, what he's saying is, it's like, look, there was sin in the world even before the law was given at Sinai, because people knew what was right and wrong. So you can't say, well, the law was, it wasn't given until Sinai, so people weren't accountable for sin before then. That's clearly not true. We, we had a flood to get rid of the wickedness. So that's verse 13. And then verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So notice this, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The wages of sin is death. That means that everyone after Adam continued to sin. And, he, and it says, even though they hadn't sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, which gives you the idea that they died because they sinned in not the exact same manner that Adam did. Adam has his sin. Others have their sin. Sin is sin, but Adam's sin is what caused him to die. And those who also sinned, it wasn't Adam's sin, it was their sin. That's what Paul is saying. Even those who, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So what Paul is saying is, look, Adam sinned, everyone else sinned. What Adam did made him subject to death. Those who also sinned, it wasn't eating the fruit, but it was a sin of choice that they made, and that's what caused them to die. So Paul is, is getting a little bit detailed here. It's a little bit like a lawyer, which Paul was. And the other point that we made is that it says death reigned from Adam to Moses. And why did Paul pick Moses? We talked about this last week. Because Moses was raised from the dead. So Moses was the first person who died who actually was resurrected. And so that was the first sign, and of course it was subject to Christ dying and being raised again, which we see in Hebrews 2. But this was the first sign that death would not reign over the righteous. And so that was one of the, the key things that happened with the resurrection of Moses. So we, we got through verse 14 last week, so we'll pick up now in verse 15. And in verse 15, this is where the comparisons between Adam and Moses really pick up. So verse 15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So do you see the comparison here in verse 15? I mean, and admittedly, I'll just say this, I've said it before. Romans 5 can be one of the most difficult chapters in the book of Romans to understand. So the way Paul puts things in words in this chapter can be difficult, but we're going to try to make it as simple as possible. And the way to simplify it is what Paul is doing is making a comparison between Adam and Christ. Here's the effect that Adam has. Here's the effect that Christ has. So in verse 15, what is the effect that Adam has? He brings in the offense. What's the effect that Christ brings? The free gift. What does Adam do through his offense? Many are dead. What about Christ? Well, through the grace 
and gift of grace of God, we have God's grace abounding unto many. So you have the offense from Adam and you have God's grace from Jesus Christ. It's complicated language, but that's basically how you can distill it down. Adam brings the offense, Christ brings grace. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So, <clears throat> Adam's sin brings condemnation. But through the free gift, Christ brings justification. And Paul has already established the point that <clears throat> death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So condemnation comes to us through our own choice. But it's undeniable that because of Adam's sin, because of his sin, our natures were weakened from birth, which led us, which put us in a much more unfavorable position than Adam when he was created which would make it more likely for us to come into condemnation. So Adam, <clears throat> his offense brings condemnation, but Christ brings the free gift to justification. So Adam has this effect that because he, his choice led us to have a weakened nature that causes us to sin, we are, through our sin, under condemnation. But... And so that's the effect that Adam has on us. But Christ, his effect is justification. Now, which one is better? Obviously, the effect of Christ. So even though Adam affected us, Christ comes, gives us a free gift. Notice that, a free gift. We can't earn it, but it's free. And it's justification. So this is, a, a, this is very good news. And then verse 17, which is the last verse of the parenthetical statement before he gets to the key points of verses 18 to 21. Verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now notice what, what Paul says here. Death reigned by Adam's offense. But what's the words he uses right after that? much more, which means that, okay, Adam brings death, but much more, look what Christ brings. He brings the gift of righteousness, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. So Adam brings his effect, which is death, but Christ brings righteousness, which brings life, and it's much more. So yeah, there's the effect from Adam, but Christ's effect is much more. So this is what Paul is trying to lay out. And in the Jewish mind, the way the Jewish mind worked, <clears throat> the Hebrew writers would oftentimes make comparisons. They'd go point A here, point B here. Point A here, point B here. And what Paul is doing is saying, here's Adam's effect. His sin weakened us, 
which causes us to come under condemnation because of our sin. But look at Christ. Much more, because of his life and his death, we don't have to be under the condemnation that Adam causes us to be subject to when we choose to sin. So there, what Paul is saying is, is if Christ's effect is much more, then there's no excuse for us to be under condemnation. And by the time you get to Romans 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's the much more. Those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Even though Adam brings the effect of making it almost inevitable or inevitable for human beings to come short of God's glory, Christ's effect is much more. And that's good news. So, you're reading through the book of Romans, and you're like, man, the wrath of God's going to be poured out on everyone, Jew and Gentile, those who don't know about God, those who do know God. But Christ's effect on the sinful race is much more than Adam. So, that's through verse 17. So, now verse 18, Paul uses the word therefore. And, it, and he's picking up the thought from verse 12, which talks about how through, by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then you have verses 13 through 17, we start to see the comparison. And here we see the comparison very clearly. Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, <clears throat> verse 18 and also verse 19 are two verses that are used by different camps to try to prove very different points. <clears throat> verse 18 is used by some to say that this proves that we are all under condemnation because of Adam, but we were all justified by Christ's death on the cross. That's what some people say. And then verse 19, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I might as well make my comment on that as well. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. What I've heard some people say is, well, look, we all know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when Paul says many at the first half of verse 19, what he means is that by one man's disobedience, which is Adam's, all were made sinners. But then the, by the obedience of one, which is Christ, many shall be made righteous. That's still in the future and not all are going to be made righteous. So therefore all were made sinners by Adam's sin whether we had a choice, and, and only some will be made righteous. The thing that I would say, let's, I'll start with verse 19, is that's ignoring what Paul just said in verse 17, where he says, yes, Adam's sin has an effect, but what's Christ's effect? Much more. If you say in verse 19 that Adam made everyone sinners, whether we had a choice or not, and Christ will only save some, who are you saying has a greater effect? You're saying that Adam has a greater effect. But Paul just said that Christ has a greater effect. 
So using that logic, you're not lining up what Paul just said in verse 17 with what verse 19 is saying. And what I've tried to establish is what Paul is doing here in these verses. Part A, this is the effect of Adam, but here's the effect of Christ, and it's much more. Here's the effect of Adam, here's the effect of Christ, and it's much more. So let's apply that to verse 18. So in verse 18, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, <clears throat> there are different viewpoints, obviously, on verse 18. But again, the point is, when we understand the context of Romans 5, with the context of Ezekiel 18, where Ezekiel 18 clearly says that the Son does not bear the iniquity of the Father. And only when the Son chooses to commit the same sin does He bear the same guilt. Ezekiel 18 is very clear about that. Romans is simply teaching that Adam, and you can see this in verse 12, Adam, through Adam, sin entered the world. All of us received a weakened nature called sinful human flesh because of his choice. And we all have chosen also to participate in Adam's sin, if you will, by our own choices. It may not be eating the apple, so to speak. Um, and that's what brings condemnation. So Adam, through his sin, we receive a weakened nature we inevitably choose to sin, and that brings condemnation to us. We are all subject to the wrath of God. And in Romans 3, Paul makes it very clear, because all of sin come short of the glory of God, all the world is guilty before God through the choice of our sin. So that's what he's saying. Adam's effect is ultimately because we choose to sin as Adam did, we also are under condemnation. But notice this, in verse, the second half of verse 18, it says, Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, <clears throat> because Christ lived a righteous life, and notice the second half of verses 18, this is describing the effect of Christ on humanity. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. So is Paul saying, because Christ lived a righteous life, everyone is justified? Accept the gift, right? Exactly, if you accept the gift. Now, <laughs> clearly not everyone will be justified, but what Paul is saying is, is that everyone could be justified if they chose to be. And that's how powerful salvation is. That because of Christ, everyone could be justified. And I'll just leave it at that. So Adam has his effect, Christ has his effect. And then verse 19, continuing on, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Again, it's a comparison. Adam... He was disobedient. Inevitably, we all 
received a weakened human nature from Adam, and we all chose to sin. That's what brings us under condemnation. And yet, because Christ was obedient, so here's the comparison. Adam is, is disobedient. Christ is obedient. Adam's disobedience has an effect on everybody because we were all born with a weakened nature because of his disobedience. But guess what? Christ, he was obedient, and he did so in a weakened human nature. Because of that, many shall be made righteous. So Adam was disobedient in an unfallen nature, then we are born with a fallen nature, we choose to sin. Christ, in a fallen nature, lives an obedient life, and all of us who choose to follow him can be made righteous. So, look at this. Adam sinned with an unfallen nature. Christ didn't sin with a fallen nature. So there again, the effect of Christ is much more. Look at Christ. He didn't sin with a fallen human nature. Adam sinned with an unfallen nature. So again, that's the emphasis of the comparison. Adam is disobedient as an unfallen being. Then he becomes fallen. Christ, with a fallen nature, never sins. And there again, it's much more the effect of Christ. Look at what Christ has done for us. So then, continuing on, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And again, this is a verse that is, is very much misunderstood by a lot of Christians, not so much in the Adventist church, but outside of Adventism. So, if you understand that Paul has been making a comparison between Adam and Christ all, all through the last half of this chapter, you'll see that because of Adam's sin, the offense of Adam has had an effect. But where sin abounded, where did sin originate from? Adam. Grace did much more abound. And where did grace originate? From Jesus Christ. And you can see that clearly in verse 15. So in verse 15, you see the offense from Adam, and you see, you see the grace from Jesus Christ. Verse 20, you see the offense again. Oh yeah, that's from Adam. And where does the grace come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. So sin abounded in this world because of what Adam did. But as Paul has been proving all along, the effect of Christ is much more. So sin came in, but grace abounds even more because Christ is more powerful than Adam. And people will use this one verse to say, see, if, if I sin, <clears throat> God's grace abounds, and the more I sin, the more his grace abounds. And you're reading, that, that's what you call eisegesis, taking one verse, separating it from the context of the entire passage. All you have to do to know that it's not true you go back to Romans 3, where Paul talks about people are teaching, let us do evil, that good may come. And what he says to that is, whose damnation is just. That's Romans 3, verse 8. And you can, you can study that very clearly. Another way to prove it, which is even clearer, you jump two verses ahead from Romans 5, verse 20 to Romans 6, verse 1, where it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
So what Paul is saying is, look, sin abounded in this world through what Adam did. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Because where grace abounds, those who are allowing Christ to have an effect in their life rather than Adam are dead to sin. So where grace abounds, we are dead to sin and we no longer live in it. So sin abounded in the world where people allow Adam to have an effect on them. But where people allow Christ to have an effect on them, grace much more abounds. Because Paul has proven up to this point that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve the wrath of God and the judgment. And yet God is so loving and merciful that through his grace... When we become justified, we have peace with God so that sin is no longer abounding in our life and grace is much more abounding because we really should be facing God's wrath and the judgment because, but because God is so merciful, we don't have to face that. And when his grace abounds in our life, we are dead to sin and live no longer in it. That's what it means when it says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Adam had an effect, but Christ is so powerful that through his obedient life and his death on the cross, he has the power to change humanity that has been affected by Adam and turn them into people who no longer are, are affected by sin and live no longer therein. And that's the good news of the gospel. So by the time you come to the end of Romans 5, it's like, wow, sin abounded in this world. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, it abounds much more because he's much more than Adam. And we can have a new life in Christ. And so then ending up verse, chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace, might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is interesting. This talks about God's grace here. So, notice how the comparison finishes up here in chapter 5. Sin reigned unto death. Sin entered into the world through one man. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But notice this. So, that's the effect of Adam. But in the last half of verse 21, it says, Even so might grace reign. So, sin reigned unto death. So, the question is, okay, and, and sin came from Adam. That's how sin entered into the world. And grace also reigns. And through whom did grace enter into the world? Through Jesus Christ. And how does grace reign? What does the verse say? It reigns through righteousness. So notice this, grace is not God loves you, he will forgive your sin, and you can keep sinning and live an unrighteous life. No. Grace, the way it works, is, and the way it reigns, it reigns through righteousness. And whose righteousness is it? Jesus Christ's righteousness. But it's his righteousness in the lives of his people. And when God's people have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his grace is reigning in their lives, and the end result is eternal life. 
The wages of sin is death, but the grace of God through his righteousness is eternal life. So here's the good news of the gospel. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal death and the wrath of God and the judgment. Sin entered into the world through Adam, but the grace of God entered into the world through Jesus Christ. And the effect of the grace of Jesus Christ entering into the world has a much greater effect on us if we choose to allow it than the sin that entered into the world through Adam. The grace that enters into the world through Jesus Christ is demonstrated through his obedient life. Adam was disobedient. Christ was obedient. That's a demonstration of the righteousness of Christ. When that grace through the righteousness of Christ reigns in the lives of his people, they have the promise of eternal life. So now we've gone from, in the first three chapters, worrying about being subject to the wrath of God and the judgment to realizing we have peace with God because we are justified by faith. And through his grace, when his righteousness reigns in our lives, we have the promise of eternal life. And so this is powerful and wonderful good news. And then, and I'm excited about going to Romans 6 next week. That's a powerful chapter. So then when you get to chapter 6, verse 1, you realize, wow, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, because if you continue in sin, you are still allowing Adam to have an effect over you. And the only way for grace to abound is to allow Christ to have a 100% effect on you and Adam to have a 0% effect on you. If sin abounds in your life, Adam has an effect on you. But if grace abounds in your life, only Christ has an effect on you. And so when that is the case, that means that you are dead to sin and you no longer live in sin. So we will get into that concept in Romans 6 next week. But the bottom line is Romans 5 shows we have peace with God and we're justified by faith. We are also saved by Christ's life. And the last part of the chapter shows Adam has an effect and Christ has an effect. Adam's effect has affected, or Adam's sin has affected all humanity because all have chosen to sin and have fallen short of God's glory. But Christ's effect is much more and when his grace reigns in our life, we have the promise of eternal life through his righteousness. So, <clears throat> starting next week, <clears throat> we'll be doing Romans 6. And I will just say that Romans 6, 7, and 8 are really the most important chapters of the book. So, <clears throat> if you've missed anything else, that's okay. But you do not want to miss Romans 6, 7, and 8.